You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. Uh, this morning, just let me reiterate a little bit here. We're going to start a, a series of sermons, and I, I've entitled it Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. And this morning, what I want to do is just step back a little bit and just by way of introduction to this series of sermons is just ask the, the fundamental question, what is the Old Testament about anyway? What is, why is it significant? Why do we, why do we care? And I think we need to answer that question before we move forward and start looking at uh, individual uh, portions of it. So as I was preparing this message, I, I looked up some tips to uh, reading the Old Testament. I, I thought it would be uh, helpful if I could maybe give you just a, a list of, of tips that would help you as you uh, prepare to, to look and, and think about and, and read the Old Testament. Now, there was some really, some really good ones that were listed in the, the ones that I, I found, but there were some really some strange ones too. A lot of the, the lists of tips when it comes to reading the Old Testament started with something like this. I know that reading the Old Testament can be daunting. It's really strange. It's hard to understand. It seems irrelevant. But you should read it anyway. And here are some tips to help you get through it. It almost sounds like we need to apologize for the Bible. But... There's, there's a point here, and, and that is that if one says that the Old Testament were simple to understand, if one said that the Old Testament were always interesting, we would know they would be a liar because we've tried to read through it before. And the fact is, the Old Testament does get largely ignored because it is difficult, because there is so much going on. And the New Testament is safer, it's easier, it's more familiar. And of course, in the midst of this, we know in our mind that we shouldn't ignore the Old Testament. We know that the Old Testament is important. We know that it, it makes up over half the Bible. It's the, the scriptures that Jesus and all of those before the New Testament was written used. It was the, it was their Bible. It was what they used to, to hear from God. It was the source of their spiritual nourishment. There's little doubt that the Old Testament is important, but just the same, many have a difficulty today finding relevance in it. So since it is difficult, it's often overlooked. So I thought that I would find some tips and share some tips to, to help us. Like I said, there were some good ones. And in the different lists I read, there was often some that were repeated over and over. Here are some of them. Um, 
One suggestion said that you should, if you're going to read the Old Testament, you should do a reading plan. It should be organized. Uh, some of them went further to say uh, it's very helpful to read it, to use a, con- a, a, a chronological reading plan. So you can read it in, in order because the Old Testament takes place out of order. That's a good tip. Uh, another tip that I read uh, several times was read it slowly. You know, again, if, if something is, is difficult, it, it isn't going to help to rush through it. That's not going to help us understand it. One tip was to, to read the cross-references. You know, the little uh, notes in your Bible, the, the cross-references. Uh, not a bad tip. You know, if you want to understand the, the text, go to other places that are talking about the, the same thing. Use a journal. Uh, ask questions about the, the text that you have so you can come back later and, and maybe answer some of those. I mean, not a bad idea. But there were some pretty strange ideas too. One person's tip for reading the Old Testament was to use your imagination. Let me just read what this person wrote. Quote, Use your imagination. After asking questions, which was a good tip, by the way, after asking questions, this one has been the most influential in helping me understand and enjoy the Old Testament. Allowing God's word to engage your imagination, to put yourself into the story. Watch it play out in your mind's eye. Picture the people you're reading about. Picture God and how he interacts with those people. The possibilities are endless. And the impact leads us to a more joyful experience with the Old Testament as the words on the page come to life. I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews meant when he said the word of God is living and active, that you make it living by using your imagination. I mean, I was being kind to call it a strange idea. I mean, it's really one of the most ridiculous tips to give people when it comes to reading the Bible. Use your imagination. Make it more interesting. Make it about you. The possibilities are endless. I mean, it almost sounds like something from satire from the Babylon Bee, but it isn't. It's supposed to be a serious way to approach the Bible. But I got thinking to myself about why in the world one would put this in their list, that they would say, I think this is helpful. I mean, why would somebody suggest that you use your imagination And as I was thinking about it, I think the answer to that is sadly obvious. Because if you don't use your imagination, if you don't put yourself into the story, if you don't do that, then when you read the Old Testament, it's boring. And and what this person is doing or trying to make is the Bible more interesting. But making the Bible more interesting in that way comes with quite a cost, doesn't it? To put yourself into the story means that if we're going to get something out of the Bible, if the Old Testament is going to be useful, then the Old Testament must be about us. We are the story. It's our imagination. The possibilities are endless because of what we're putting into the text. I want you to grasp this. This idea is taking things out here and putting them into the text to make it more relevant, as if the text isn't relevant on its own. You see the problem? But I have another question. 
Is this true on some level? I mean, just get past the, the quacky idea of using your imagination for a moment and ask a serious question that comes out of all of this. And that is, is the Old Testament about you? Do, should we put ourselves into the story? Matt Chandler made this point in a, a sermon a few years ago, and a portion of that sermon went viral. And he said this, I, I want to be straight. I, I love you enough to be straight with you. You're not David, and the trouble in your life is not Goliath. The, the point that Chandler was rightly making is that the Old Testament isn't a series of moralistic lessons, but it is a story of redemption with the person of Jesus Christ at its center. When he says, you're not David, he means the story of David and Goliath isn't about you. I would suggest that, that much of our problem with the Old Testament is the fact that we're not sure what it is about. So, we do what's natural. We make it about us. Because we want to make it relevant. So we either use our imagination to make it more interesting, or we put ourselves at its center, and we put things in there that just aren't supposed to be in there, and make it about us. And we start saying things, you know, you need to be like Abraham when it comes to faith in God, but not like Abraham when it comes to lying, for instance. If that is the extent of the purpose of the Old Testament, these kind of moral lessons, then there's no wonder we struggle with it, that we struggle with its relevance. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not implying that the Old Testament isn't difficult. The fact is, understanding the Old Testament takes a lot of work. The, the, the fact is, we're not as familiar with it. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of background. There's a lot of stuff going on. But once we place purpose behind it all, once we say this is the purpose of the Old Testament, then at least we have something to work toward. I was in both Bible college and seminary, and, and I'll be honest, the Old Testament classes that I was in was, was the ones that I was the most disappointed with. Theology classes, Christian history classes, New Testament classes. I mean, I, I love those classes. It seemed as though I was, I was just sitting in there drinking from a, a fire hose. And, and I desperately wanted the Old Testament classes to, to have that, that same experience. But it just always seemed like there was a, a great piece that was missing. It was like trying to put a, a puzzle together without having the box to look at. Let me see if I can illustrate it a little bit more. I remember in, in one Old Testament class, the professor clearly told us that the people reading the Old Testament didn't have the New Testament. So when we seek to understand the Old Testament, we need to do so without drawing on the New Testament. One author said it this way. Let me quote him. He said, it is crystal clear in Scripture that God made these promises, right? The Old Testament made these promises with Abraham, Moses, and the people there, and they with him. It is lazy scholarship to read the laws within the Old Covenant and teach that those things apply today. Another scholar says that we need the Old Testament because it's the context of the New Testament. 
For instance, the New Testament writers often draw on the Old Testament, therefore we need it. I mean, I'm going to disagree with all of that. I, I, I think it's rather clear that we need, and get this, I think it's rather clear that we need the New Testament to understand the Old Testament properly. It's looking back at things with 2020 vision, as it were. The Old Testament is the context for the new, but it's more than that. It isn't only a foundation for God's word, it is God's word on the same level as the New Testament. It isn't inferior. I would also go so far as to say that it's utterly dangerous to suggest that the Old Testament isn't needed. Like some are in the habit of saying today that we need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. That kind of thinking is ridiculous. Saying that God made these agreements with these people so they, then therefore they don't, it doesn't matter to us. We're under a new covenant. So therefore what is old is irrelevant. I mean, that's just a, a radical misunderstanding of the purpose of those agreements, the purpose of those covenants in general. So what I want to do here is I, I just want to back up and, and look at that question, what is the Old Testament about? In other words, as you have all of the, the pieces of the proverbial Old Testament puzzle spread out on a table, I, I don't want to pick up individual pieces and look at them. I want to take a look at the box. I, I want us to see the box. Before we before you ever start putting the puzzle together, you need to know what the pictures, what the picture is. What is the overarching picture of the Old Testament? What is it about? Where are we going? And today I want to answer that question really in, in four ways. Or to put it differently, I want to let uh, four others answer that question. I want to see how uh, the other people have answered that question about the Old Testament and what it is about. So I want to start by looking about how, how Jesus answered that question. And then I want to look at Peter, how the Apostle Peter answered the question, then Paul, and then finally John. In other words, we're going to look at this from the perspective of the New Testament writers. How did the, the New Testament writers see the Old Testament? What was the purpose of it? What did they think the primary subject of the Old Testament was? What, what, was, their, what was the box like of the puzzle? Well, we saw already how Jesus answered this question a little bit at the onset of our service when we read from the Gospel of Luke. After the resurrection, Jesus joins a, a couple disciples on the road to Emmaus and he starts talking to them about what was going on in, in their day. And they said, you know, hey, are you the only person here that doesn't know what's going on? And Jesus then makes a statement that the Old Testament says that Jesus, the Messiah, must die and be glorified. And then we're told he started with Moses, the prophets, and he showed them everything that was written about him in the scriptures. He said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Notice where he's starting. 
And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I I just want you to notice something here that Jesus was doing. Jesus was starting with himself. We could say Jesus was starting with the New Testament. And then he goes back and he interprets the Old Testament accordingly. This is contrary to what is so often taught in Christian academics that tell us that we shouldn't use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. I I read of one Old Testament professor who banned the use of the New Testament in the classroom. I, I don't think Jesus would have done well in that class. You have this glorious event that happened in the first century, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then Jesus then goes back to the Old Testament and shows how it said that he must suffer and die and then be raised from the dead. There's a great principle here when it comes to reading and understanding the Old Testament, isn't there? Graham Goldsworthy states this well. He says this, We do not start at Genesis 1 and work our way forward until we discover where it all is leading. Rather, we first come to Christ, and he directs us to study the Old Testament in the light of the gospel. The gospel will interpret the Old Testament by showing us its goal and meaning. It's a great quote. There's something else here we need to grasp from Jesus' words in Luke 24, and that is that Jesus does not stand in contrast to the Old Testament. But this is what a lot of people today do. Just how people talk. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Therefore, law doesn't matter. We might hear people say something like that, but that language, what that language does is it, is it presents Jesus in contrast to the Old Testament. Did you see what happens there? Yes, we're, we're under grace. Yes, there's truth there, but... To, to say the Old Testament doesn't matter because we're under grace? That's not what Jesus does. That's not what he says. It's like him saying, hey, don't worry about all of that. Just worry about me. Just worry about Jesus. The flaw in that kind of thinking is that there isn't a contrast here. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Jesus is the climax and fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. And to say it even more clearly, Jesus was the primary subject of the Old Testament. Just take one simple illustration. The laws concerning sacrifice for the atonement of sin in the Old Testament. Of course, all of that is pointing toward Christ generally, But even take the specifics, the demand that the animal should be without spot or blemish, right? That points to to Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment in that he was the perfect sacrifice. Those others might have been, uh, they might have found the most perfect sacrifice that a person could possibly find, but those sacrifices were nothing compared to Jesus, who was truly one of a kind. You see, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. As we have studied the the Gospel of John in chapter 8, the Jews there bring up Abraham. Jesus said that if anyone keeps his word, they will not taste death. And the Jews say, well, you have a demon. 
And their reason for uh, accusing him of having a demon is that Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And they asked Jesus, well, are you better than Abraham who died? And Jesus said to them that their father Abraham rejoiced that that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying here that Abraham was, as David Murray says, more than a theistic Jew, but he was a true Christian brother. There there was a sense in which Abraham saw the box that contained all the pieces of the puzzle. He understood that the, the that he was part of the the puzzle, but he also looked forward to the Messiah in faith. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 speaks of Abraham believing in God and it being credited to him as righteousness. And And then we read this. Know then that it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, of course, we don't know exactly what Abraham understood, but we do know that he understood enough that God promised in Genesis chapter 12 to bless him and through him bless others. And Paul is taking this and using this to apply that, that he had faith in Christ and those that trust in him and have faith are children of Abraham. Abraham believed that God was accomplishing his purpose of redemption, that the promises of Genesis 3.15 would be fulfilled by God through him. Abraham believed all of this, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith. So when Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, That is what Jesus was referring to, that Abraham looked forward to the Messiah. He saw the box, as it were. He understood that there was to be one that was coming who would be the the promised one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the, the, the child of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and deal with the curse of sin and death forever. Abraham believed. Let me just let Jesus answer that in another place. In John chapter 5, where we start to see the the rift there developing between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. In In verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures, right? He's talking to the Jewish leaders. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Then a few verses later, Jesus continues, for if you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I mean, I find it utterly fascinating. When Jesus is is talking to the religious elite, he says, 
You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And what Jesus is contrasting here is where eternal life is found. And the, and the answer, uh, where is eternal life found? The question is, is, is eternal life found in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Jesus says that Moses wrote of him. Where is eternal life found? In Jesus Christ alone. In other words, Moses is showing where eternal life is. He was pointing toward Christ. But these, the religious leader, depending on obedience. They were missing the point of the Old Testament. Thinking that eternal life was found in the law itself. The law shows us our need for a redeemer. Someone to come and save us because we clearly cannot save ourselves. But these thought if they were good enough, they could. If they searched the scriptures enough and those and knew the law and were obedient because of their arrogance, they believed that they were, they were worthy of eternal life because of their obedience. Jesus is saying, no, the law shows us our need for a savior. The same Savior that Abraham waited for and longed for in faith. And it is this Savior that the religious leaders would continue to reject. So in a nutshell, that's how, that's how Jesus answered the, the question of what the Old Testament is about. It's about himself. Now think about Peter. How did Peter answer the question? Well, look with me for a moment at, at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It might... Be helpful if you look at it. Let me just, let me just read it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, we we need to notice a few things about this text. We know that the, the prophets in the Old Testament made prophecies. That's pretty obvious, but it says that here. And here we learn the the content of those prophecies. It's concerning this salvation, right? The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, the readers. Now that's something, isn't it? What was the prophetic activity of the Holy Spirit focused on in the Old Testament? You understand my question? When the Holy Spirit was working through the prophets in the Old Testament, what was he doing? Well, we know from here that the the coming of Christ was his primary concern. And not only that, but that salvation was through Christ and it was by God's grace and it was accomplished through a Messiah that would suffer. This is something that the prophets understood. They knew this. That Christ would suffer, that he would be glorified, and all this is remarkable. So now comes the question, though, 
What did the prophets themselves understand or not understand? Is Peter here saying that the prophets predicted these things, but they had no idea what they were predicting? I don't think that's right. I think all those things that we just talked about, the, the, the prophets understood these things. But so often we read this text or we hear it taught and, it's, and it's, they had no idea what they, were, what they were prophesying. In fact, some versions of, of the Bible seem to indicate that in verse 11. But other parts of the same passage tell us that they, or seem to indicate that they knew a great deal. So what do we know? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit worked through these prophets, that they had the, the words from God about the grace that was to be yours. They knew that. They knew the the content that Christ would suffer and and die and be glorified. And then it says they they searched and inquired carefully. What were they searching and inquiring carefully about? Well, the exact person and the time. When's it going to happen? They knew knew what was going to happen. They just needed to know when. Who was this? Redeemer. Redeemer. When's he coming on the scene? Is he coming now? They inquired, they searched, they were seeking to understand the prophetic word. The person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They had the puzzle pieces. They were seeking to put them together. The Holy Spirit was clearly speaking to them about Christ, yet a yet future Savior that would bring them salvation. And they came to the conclusion that, yes, he's going to suffer, but this is a a yet future. And what they were announcing was something that wasn't going to happen right now, but it was something that was going to happen later. The, The time and the person was somebody that was going to happen later, And they realized that they were serving others in their prophecy. They were giving people pieces of the puzzle that would be clear later on. And they would help people put that puzzle together. We shouldn't take this text as if these prophets just had no clue of what they were doing, they knew a lot. They didn't know the time, the circumstances. They didn't know those things, but they didn't know when exactly they would take place. But they knew they would. They knew it was going to happen. They had faith. They trusted it. So what's the Old Testament about? What was the Holy Spirit doing in the life of the the prophets in the Old Testament? He was continually pointing toward Christ. What's the subject matter of the Old Testament? Christ Jesus. So in a nutshell, that was Peter's answer. What about the Apostle Paul? Let me just point you to one place. Paul isn't quite as obvious as Jesus and and Peter, I think, but he is clear. One simply must just follow the line of thought here a little bit. In Galatians chapter 4, I'll pick up in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Let me just stop there for a moment. If we look at the context of the book of Galatians, there are those who have come into these churches and they are teaching that one must be obedient to the law in order to be saved. One must trust in Christ 
but also be obedient. Faith plus works. You need to trust Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. So here are are those who desire to be under the law. These ones who desire to be saved by law keeping. And to them, Paul is saying essentially, you want to be under the law, but have you not read what Moses says in other places? Have you not read what, what Moses taught? You want to be under the law, you want to be saved by law keeping, but Moses taught about Christ. I mean, it should sound really familiar to what Jesus said. Have you not listened to Moses, the religious elite? Have you not listened to what he said? Moses spoke of me, Jesus said. You find eternal life in Christ. In Abraham and Moses, all of these pointed to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul gives an illustration then. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. David Murray says that the birth of Ishmael is a vivid illustration of relating to God using the best of human reasoning plus human effort. Ishmael is human effort apart from divine promise. The birth of Isaac is an illustration of of relating to God by trusting in his promise alone. It shows the, the helplessness of humanity reaching out for divine help. Paul then takes and concludes this portion of Galatians chapter 4 and he says this, and this is the point that he was making, showing us the Old Testament. He says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What is the Old Testament about according to Paul? Is the Old Testament about laws and being saved by being obedient? No, the Old Testament points to Christ, that salvation is solely found in the promise of God, not in our own ability. Even in the Old Testament, he's taking this story of of Abraham and his his wanting to fulfill the, the promise and taking matters into his own hands. And he's talking about, no, we don't trust that. We trust in the promise of God. We trust in his provision to provide a Messiah. Something that was a clear subject all throughout the Old Testament. I think Charles Hodge, a great Princeton theologian, uh, nailed it when he comes to, to Paul's use of the Old Testament. He says this, the Old Testament scriptures are intelligible only when understood as predicting and prefiguring Christ. The knowledge of Christ as a matter of fact and as a matter of course removes the veil from the Old Testament. So you want to understand the Old Testament? You want to have the veil removed? Look to Christ. What about John, the apostle? Well, again, like Paul, he doesn't take up this subject specifically, but although we, we can glean what he thought, I mean, all, we did mention John in, in John chapter 5, in John chapter 8, when it comes to the words of Jesus. And we could say, well, John agreed with that statement, but I want to go to John's own thought. 
I want to look just briefly at the, the prologue as, as John is, is introducing the gospel of John a little bit in verse 17. So John 1, 17, you might want to look at that. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Christ Jesus. Now, some translations add a word in there. They add the word but. And it would say, uh, but grace and truth come through Jesus. The, the ESV there gets it right. That word isn't there. It's actually, it's a supplied word in some translations. And I, and I think it makes a, a tremendous difference in the way we understand the text. It, it takes and it sets those two statements uh, against one another in a way that really shouldn't be. John's point isn't to set the Old Testament up against the new. He isn't talking about the superiority of the New Testament in relation to the Old Testament. He isn't pointing to the inadequacy of the Old Testament when it comes to the the gospel, but he's speaking of the unity of all of Scripture. Notice the the, the context of verse 17 a little bit. I'll just go back to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that John says that we have seen his glory. And it is the same glory that we've seen before. Are you following right? We've seen his glory. It's the glory of the Father. We've seen this before. We, we know this. We recognize this glory when we see it. How do we know it? Because we've seen it in the Old Testament. We've seen the glory of the Father. If you've seen the, the glory of the Son, you've seen the glory of the Father. And you recognize it because you know it to be true because it was proclaimed in the Old Testament. So John isn't setting up a a contrast here, but he's setting forth a unity of Scripture. Then he says, John, the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now let me ask you something here. Where would John the Baptist get this idea about Jesus? How would John the Baptist be so certain that Jesus is who he claimed to be and declare him as the one who ranks higher than him, who came before him, right? Making a a reference to the deity of Christ, making a a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. How would he know this? It's because the Old Testament talked about him. The Old Testament convinced John the Baptist that Jesus was the Messiah. The one that Moses and the prophets spoke of. John the Baptist, along with the Old Testament prophets, knew well our need for a Savior. And it was in the law that our need for a Savior was highlighted. When we're confronted with God's standard of holiness, we are immediately found to be lacking. I would say what John is saying here in verse 17, is that it is in the law that we are showing our need for Jesus. And then it is in the person of Jesus Christ that we see the grace of God 
in that we don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve one to come and save us from our sins, but just the same, what God promised that he would do by sending Jesus Christ, he did in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we actually see him, but it isn't setting forth a, Uh, the Old Testament versus the New Testament. It isn't talking about the inadequacy. The Old Testament talks about Jesus. It just points forward to it. The Old Testament promised a redeemer. And John the Baptist's endorsement of Jesus highlights the fact that we are left to conclude that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Of course, some places are, are clearer than others. Jesus, I think, is, is crystal clear. We use Jesus' statements as we seek to understand these other ones because Jesus is so clear. Peter is very clear. But when we take what we've said and what we've learned, even the most difficult portions of Paul and how Paul draws on the Old Testament and how what John says becomes clear to what the Old Testament is about. And so... And this is where we're, we're going in this series over the next several weeks. And so if the Old Testament is about Jesus, then what naturally follows is that we should discover Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Right? So what we're going to do is we're going to test this. We're going to say, are, are we right here? Is the Old Testament really about Jesus? Is, is the Old Testament just as good as the, the new in talking about Jesus? Can we, can we get the gospel from the Old Testament? Or should we unhitch ourselves from it? I'm making the case that the Old Testament is relevant because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And so now we need to take some time and say, can we see Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament? How is he relevant? So pray with me as we, as we spend some time this summer in the Old Testament, as we seek to discover Jesus Christ in the pages there. Pray that the person and work of Jesus Christ would become clear and evident in the pages of the Old Testament as we study it together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.